tools, television sets, designer handbags, mink coats, iPods, laptops, Bluetooth speakers, birth certificates, guns, video game consoles, jewelry, drones, phones, dentures, projectors, cameras, tablets, checkbooks, clothing, cash. What do all these items have in common? They were all reported as stolen out of historic Northeast homes between March 26th and April 20th of 2018. Subsequently, some of those items were recovered on trails in Kessler Park. Those recoveries, combined with the reported concerns of Northeast Neighborhood Associations, led to a Kansas City Police Department response on Thursday, April 26th. The Northeast News was invited along as more than two dozen officers, social workers, and outreach personnel organized a sweep of Kessler Park and the surrounding areas. The photos and videos we shared on social media obviously struck a chord with a lot of Kansas City residents. By the time we started producing this podcast on April 27th, thousands of people had seen the images we published from the sweep, and hundreds had felt compelled to comment. The responses ran the gamut, from thankful that KCBD was expending resources to clean up the Northeast, to angry that the homeless population was being hassled when they were in dire need of vital services. If the commentary from our readers was conflicted, they weren't alone. The KCPD team that put together the operation, led by Captain Ryan Mills of East Patrol, asked thoughtful questions about the goals of the sweep before they ever went in. This is Paul Thompson with the Northeast News, and what follows are my audio recordings from the field. The real story, as it were, of what happened on Thursday, April 26th, when the Kansas City Police Department conducted a sweep of Kessler Park. In addition to my musings, you'll hear directly from the officers who were involved in the sweep. What's more, we've included an interview with two of the homeless individuals found in a camp to the west side of Cliff Drive. Without further ado, here's the latest episode of Kansas City's Northeast Newscast. Thank you for listening. It's just after 9.30 a.m. on the morning of Thursday, April 26th, and I've just joined a meeting of more than two dozen Kansas City, Missouri police officers, social services, and outreach personnel. Following a rash of burglaries, the department is looking to sweep out homeless camps throughout the city, included among the target areas, Kessler Park, and on either side, of the Chestnut Bridge in the historic Northeast. The team met in the community room of East Patrol, and Captain Ryan Mills laid out exactly what they're trying to accomplish. He allowed the officers discretion, suggesting that for minor city warrants, an arrest is not necessary. The goal is to do some investigative work, to recover property from a rash of burglaries that have hit the Pendleton Heights, Scarrett Renaissance, and Indian Mound neighborhoods, and to ensure that there aren't dangerous people living in these camps below the historic Northeast community. Captain Stacy Graves had another request, asking officers to look out for potential suspects from the 9th and Brooklyn homicide on the morning of Tuesday, April 24th. The East Patrol officers will have drone support during this mission as they search through six to seven homeless camps all throughout Kansas City. As for me, I'm joining a group right along Chestnut Avenue. The mission is serious, but most of the members are pretty light during the meeting. They're normal citizens, after all, just like you and I. They can see humor in the morose, and there's value in lightening the mood. There are legitimate questions. Should we go into an unoccupied tent to find property? The answer points once again to discretion. Maybe a little bit, but don't tear it up. The goal isn't to harass these individuals, it's to learn, to gather recovered property, and to clean out these areas. The team is split up now, dispersed throughout the city, and I'll soon join them. But first, we're going to Quick Trip. For the record, that Quick Trip line isn't a joke.
My team leader mentioned it to me, almost sheepishly, as we were preparing to depart for the historic Northeast. They realize the stereotypes that are out there. And to their credit, they don't mind laughing about it. After my team and I arrived at the designated search zone, we initially saw frustratingly little success. We stomped through the trails around the Cliff Drive disc golf course, making small talk and joking about our surely imminent tumbles along the muddy path. Eventually, we moved over to Gladstone Boulevard, between the Kansas City Museum and Indian Mound. Again, the excursion led to much more hiking in the woods than fruitful engagement. We did come across one lonely hut where we saw a stack of wood and the lingering aroma of a recently extinguished fire. For hours, however, we made no contact. The fruitless efforts left the journalist and me concerned. Would all this hiking in the woods be for naught? These were my thoughts as I sidled up to East Patrol Community Interaction Officer Patrick Bird. I started by asking about his experiences working with the city's homeless population. Yes, most of the most of the camps are set up in like residential areas that I and uh, Greg Smith go to. Does it ever feel like overwhelming? It is overwhelming. You know what? Yeah, homelessness is. It's tough, right? I mean, a lot of problems right now. What's your goal then when you come in here with Greg or when you kind of start trying to figure it out? Well, our first order of business is to make contact with the homeless individuals or parties and then, uh, of course, try to provide them with resources uh, to hopefully get them on their feet and start becoming a productive citizen. Wow, and we're walking up on a, on a real camp here. It's probably the first one we've had all day. Is this pretty typical? All right, let's go on in. And so we did. Right away, it was clear that the wreckage was astronomical. The cleanup efforts would require massive coordination. It was clear that people had been living there for some time. In fact, when I asked two individuals who were present when we arrived, they told me that they stayed there throughout the winter. I've been into homeless camps before, and for me, it's always overwhelming. But after checking out the camp and seeing conditions that are truly unfit for any human, I went back and talked to Bird. What I found was somewhat surprising. Even after all these visits, the camps have a similar effect on him. So I just kind of wanted to finish our thought from earlier. You know, we were talking about what if and and how this scene is when you come across a camp. And lo and behold, we are walking right upon one. Uh, what are your thoughts having seen this camp and, and kind of uh, the sophistication and just the amount of clutter? It's overwhelming uh, to see that this mass of clutter, debris, trash, uh, all in this one area, and actually realize that people are living down here. Uh, it's very overwhelming. Since I've been out of patrol, back in patrol since August of last year, I've come came across several sites like this, which at the point. Before then, I didn't realize that Kansas City had that such a big homeless problem. But now, after being back in patrol and with my feet on the ground, I realized that, hey, it's a, it's a big issue. Being here uh, and, and seeing this today, do you have an estimate for how many people have lived down here or, or are living down here currently? Uh, I talked with one of the homeless people over there, and she said approximately anywhere from 17 to 20 people lived here at some point in time. So I, some came, some uh, went, you know, left. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
I, I would imagine anywhere from like 17 to maybe 40 at any given time. Uh, maybe it lived through, lived through here. Just looking at the amount of trash and debris and items. Some of these items are pretty heavy. Yeah. Just to realize they, you know, they carried them this far here. And you wonder where they get the stuff too, right? Absolutely. Well, what's the next step here? What do you envision happening? Uh, what kind of connections do you have to make with other services? Do you bring Parks and Rec down here to do the bulk of the cleanup, or, or what's PD's role from here? Our first role, we have our social workers with us, so our first uh, goal is to get the homeless plugged into resources, mm-hmm. whether it's housing, whether it's uh, substance abuse treatment, uh, job training, job job uh, placement things of that nature so that's our first and primary goal then second is uh, of course protecting and serving and getting this blight getting this trash getting this debris cleaned up so first we'll find out who's the owner of this property so being that we're in the park I'm I'm assuming that it's parks and rec so we'll get a hold of parks and recs and then begin the process of cleaning it up and with the amount of trash and debris that you see it's going to be a timely and costly project to get all this stuff. And I know at the outset of this uh, kind of operation, Captain Mills suggested that officers that were were part of it had some discretion about how they were going to handle situations when they come across individuals. Uh, how, what would you recommend uh, doing with those individuals that you just found? Is there is there a way to tell whether or not they have any active warrants or anything of that nature? Or are we looking for services first? Too? Yes, we, we get their names and every part person that we contacted we ran their names through their through the computer to make sure that they didn't have any uh, outstanding warrants mm-hmm. we did find a couple with some city municipal misdemeanor warrants and that's kind of where that discretion comes into play. right if it was a felony warrant then they have to we would have to take them into custody and take them to jail but uh, misdemeanors uh, we have that leniency whether it would be wise to take them to jail or try to plug them into services. We don't want them to be afraid of us, so we really want them to see that we're actually here to help them. So uh, we try to get them to buy into the resources first, and then if that doesn't work, then we'll, of course, have to go to that next step, which is enforcement. How much do these scenes stick with you after you leave? All the time. All the time, just to realize that People are living in, in sites like this. I've ran across children down here in, in some of these homeless sites, so it bothers me. You know, it's, it's not something that you can easily just walk away from and forget about. Uh, with Kansas City and extreme weather conditions that sometimes, that sometimes doing. Be here in the heat yeah, of the summer. and Summer and, and winter. This is, they've been living down here it's all winter. So, uh, you know, that, that these things, they never go away. You know, you always remember them and you think about the people that you contact and, and you just want the best for them. But unfortunately, uh, some of them just choose to live this type of lifestyle. And I think we as a society, uh, we need to not, not judge them, but be more uh, sympathetic and try to provide them with resources and things of that nature to help them get on their feet and 
help them to realize that they don't have to live under these conditions. All right. Hey, thank you very much for taking the time. After my conversation with Bird, he suggested that it might be beneficial to talk to the individuals who are staying in the camp. I agreed and was fortunate enough to secure their permission to talk for a few minutes about their circumstances. So I guess first things first, I'd ask um, how you came to find this camp and sort of what the, or how it was built, if, if you were a part of that. I mean, I'm from Michigan myself, so I, I know enough about survival to, to stay through the winter. I, word of mouth, I just come across this camp for, the, basically it was for the winter, so I'd have a permanent camp, make something to stay warm. Yeah. And I just come across the resources, I mean, on the side of the road, be it dumpsters, whatnot, made a suitable camp to stay warm in. Did it suffice for the winter? It was very warm through the winter. We were nice and cozy. There was only one night we were really cold. Somebody come through and slashed the shit out of my tent and everything. I mean, they took the whole back wall right out of my tent. We went through six tents this winter. Is it because of the dangers of, of other individuals coming across? Yes. Yeah, How dangerous is it to live out here? It's scary. It's scary. Are there a lot of violent types? Very. How do you handle those? You just hope for the best? Keep your nose clean. Stay stay away. I mean, you stay to your own business. Don't do nobody wrong. I mean, the streets will come back and haunt you if you do somebody cricket. Do you anticipate taking advantage of any of the services that um, these officers are offering today? 100%. we got a meeting tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. We will be there. And what have they offered? Housing. I mean, basically, all the help we need to get our ID back. 100%. I mean, they're, they're willing to help us. We're going to take advantage of it. What do you think some of the, the biggest misconceptions are of individuals who, are, who find themselves living like this? What do people believe that's not true? Right. That well, we choose they, to be this way. We they, they say we choose to be this way, that we're thieves. We're cricket. I've not stolen nothing. Everything that I've brought down here has either come off the side of the road or out of a dumpster. Or given to us. Salvaged in some capacity. Right. I, I have not stolen nothing. He, uh, I do side jobs to get by. I mean, the scrap yard, scrap, the scrap metal. I, I do a lot of scrapping. I mean, like I said, everything comes out of a dumpster, though. I, I do not break into nothing. I don't. You don't want that done to us. Sure. You know. Six six months from now, where do you see yourself being? Or where would you like to see yourself? Hopefully with a job and house and apartment. And for the short term? Living it day by day and getting this mess cleaned up. We have also all the homeless people that have um, volunteered to come and help us clean this up. Do they? Yes, they have. I, I, not all homeless people are bad. Matter of fact, 99.9% of them are great people. They have a heart. They'd be more willing to help than anybody else. Yes, sir. Good. Thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time. You're Next, I caught up with Chato Villalobos, a Central Patrol Division police officer who operates out of the Westside Can Center otherwise known as the Community Action Network. Interestingly enough, I first caught up with Chateau back in March of 2017, 
When he served as my guide as I tailed social services coordinator Gina English through the Ridge Homeless Camp on the city's west side. More than a year later, his boundless humanity continued to shine through. Can you compare this to what, what we saw a year ago? Yeah, you know, it's there's a lot of similarities, you know, with uh, just a, a lot of trash, a lot of people who potentially need some social or medical services that probably unaware access to, you know, the they have just been in Kansas City. We're, we're hopeful for, we brought social workers with us, is that we could get these people also plugged into those services so they don't have to live like this. It's very unsanitary. And obviously, you know, the reason why we're down here is we've been getting some complaints from the people that live around here. So um, last year when we went down there, we were able to place about 80% of those people to some form of homeless service, whether it's living facilities or medical um services uh, just uh, there's so many different not-for-profits that function within our city limits that we're able to come down there and help get a lot of those people like uh, even like uh, drug treatment so we're hoping if we do get some people identified down here that we can a you know identify the issues that they may need and social services I mean our social service workers will be able to document their information and potentially get them connected the other part of it is, you know, the potential property crimes that's going on around here. We can at least go check these places out to make sure that that's not what's going on down here where we're finding stolen property, you know. So there's several things that we're hoping to accomplish down here that we accomplished when we're at that, when you refer to that Moki Park. Um, and then in the end, I mean, there's no more trash down there. There's no more people living in unsanitary conditions and the people who live around Mulkey Park are very happy that we were able to work together with the city to address that issue. So, but to be clear, I mean that is that was a Herculean effort last it, year. I mean, it that was. was that it was required <laughs> synergy of all you know between the police department, Parks and Recs, and all the different not-for-profits that work with homeless. So, but we're happy with the result, you know, and so are the people, the members of the community that expressed the original concern, the initial concern, and. So we're kind of hoping to use that as a model as we, the community, you know, alerts us to different types of similar situations over here in Northeast. I just, you know, it's always eye-opening for me when I come down into these camps and see how people are living. Yeah. Do you ever feel overwhelmed when you come in and, and, and see this, you know, the size of scope of these? I used to, to be honest with you, I used to, but now I understand that there are some people in our, you know, that live amongst us that they prefer to live this way where they have access to uh, living facilities and places where they can they just don't want to live in those places and so they choose this lifestyle unfortunately when you see like the example here is very unsanitary there's potentially a stolen property down here it's just it's not good systemically for anybody involved including them you know and we look at this as humanitarian first like if we could get them placed with services so that prevent them from getting sick or you know somebody coming and victimizing them or preying on them then that's ideal for us in the end with the blight that you see here, it begets more blight. It causes more crime. This is where people are attracted to when you talk about drug dealers, prostitution, property criminals, career criminals. They are attracted to this kind of environment because they know if this is not taken care of, then the area doesn't care about the area. And that's where the career criminals exploit the most. So if we can help get this cleaned up, whether we're using social workers or not-for-profit agencies or law enforcement, you know, then that reduces the probability of property crimes so now obviously um, chief smith has made it a priority to install social workers at patrol divisions and i think 
you and I could, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but we can kind of speak to the benefits of that, having uh, spent a day with Gina English, and I'm sure yeah, you spent absolutely. many more after that, um, and I've had a chance to kind of monitor her work as well, and obviously yeah. it's been successful enough that it's expanding. How important is that, and um, how important do you feel it is to continue that program? I think, I hope it continues and continues to grow, you know. Um, she was a part of that effort last year, and you know, as we were getting our feet with this uh, new you know, situation that we were facing as a police department and how we addressed is having Gina English there was awesome. Today we got three of them here and it's really going to help us. I mean, we've already ran into a couple that was living in the woods and they're, they, they're like on the verge of just getting out of that situation. They just need a little bit of services. They were able to assess that situation on the spot and now those people within days are not going to be in that situation anymore. So that's the biggest part of this component is the human factor. The next is going to be like the crime factor. You know, if we can eliminate something like this from growing, containing it, or even eliminating it, then that, like I said, it reduces the probability of crime growing in this area. You remove the blight, then crim career criminals aren't as attractive to these kind of areas. Does your heart break a little bit when you when you meet these individuals that oh. are living in this situation? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, you know. And that's the thing. You know, the best thing about our job as inspector squad, you know, under our sergeant, Sergeant Sam, is like, we get to be proactive and use discretion. You know, there's a time where we use law enforcement as a tool, but law enforcement is not our way of being. Our way of being is just helping the people. And that includes the people who are at these camps. If we could get them plugged into services, um, one of the proudest things so I, I, uh, that I participated in last year was we identified about five of them as, as veterans, and they didn't they weren't aware of certain grants that were available through President Obama, and we were able to get them plugged in. They, they're now inside of living facilities. They didn't have to live this way. That wasn't their choice. They're just struggling with whatever systemic issues that they're facing at the time, and we were able to get them plugged into those resources. That's the number one goal for us as police officers, is to protect and serve, and that includes the people in these predicaments. But at the end of the day, we do use law enforcement as a tool. There's some people who are living amongst here who sometimes they have warrants for, you know, sexual assault, or they're, you know, predators, there, and they choose to live outside of the system. And if everything else doesn't work, we, can, we at least have law enforcement as a tool. We identify private property or public property and there's certain you know um, ordinances that we need to maintain that's always an option we always try to explore the problem solving side of it first helping the people you know so yeah it does break my heart you know that sometimes it's just people who are unaware that we have services available finally i caught up with captain ryan mills of east patrol the architect of this entire operation all right, so I met at East Patrol with you and about two dozen other officers, social workers, and outreach personnel. This morning, I think by 10 o'clock, we were fanning throughout the Northeast, trying to find homeless camps, maybe uh, recover some stolen property, uh, get a chance to provide social services to individuals. And I think it's safe to say that for those first couple of hours, it was a little bit frustrating. We had trouble actually identifying and, and finding individuals, though that all kind of changed here in the past hour when we got to the west side of Cliff Drive. Uh, we came across a pretty sophisticated camp with a ton of trash. Um, looks like they'd hauled furniture, uh, bedding, things like that, A lot of uh, several tents. I guess I would just ask you, uh, let's start with a kind of broad look. How did the expectations meet the reality of, of, of what you were trying to do today? You know, I went into this really not having a lot of expectations. Um, really kind of unsure of what we would find and, and, and what progress we would make. You know, the intent was to, uh, it, it was really, you know, three or four different purposes in doing this. One, it's been, it's been a little while since we've been in the camp 
the Kessler Park area where we know the camps are. Mm-hmm. And we really, uh, I think it's on us to keep an eye on what's going on in those areas and have an understanding of who's there and what's going on and what's happening in the neighborhood along with that. You know, what preempted this is there's had been a series of burglaries in the northeast area. Um, some houses have been burglarized multiple times. And we had some information that led us to believe that potentially um, someone staying in the camps was responsible for those burglaries. And so in, in the process of following up on that, we began to look at the camp area and the Kessler Park area and see what... Uh, see what information we could gain from it. Some stolen property had been recovered early on that was on a trail back in Kessler Park and and really further bolstered that suspicion. And so what we did is um, organized a group of officers, divided the camp up into several different sections, and then began to systematically go through and see what camps we can locate in in there, see what individuals we found, see if we could find any stolen property, and, and just really learn what we could learn. In a way, it was sort of like an investigative approach. You're, you're just fanning out and seeing what you can find. It, it, you know, it was, and I think it's. I think it's. I think part of our responsibility is to understand what's going on in that part of the community as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and personally, I didn't have a, a, a an understanding that I was comfortable with, and so I wanted to get more information. This was a way to do it. And so we started off this morning. Um, we had an idea where some camps were, and we found you know, all together today, I think, between the different groups, we found six, seven, or eight different camps. Um, none of them were as elaborate as the most, the, the last one that we found, um, but it is definitely evidence that people are staying back in there in those camps. Some of them are just, they're just camps, and they have a campfire and a place to sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, we were at the camp together earlier today, and we could smell that the campfire had been recently burning, so mm-hmm. probably somebody was there last night. Now, they're not there today, um, but we know that, we, we do have evidence that someone's been back there, and, and we did not see any obviously stolen property back there either, which was the other thing we wanted to do, is see if we could find any of the property. Um, you know, I, I have a list of all the property that was taken from the burglaries in the last few weeks to see if we found any of that, um, see if we could find any identifiable information, you know, with checks or Social Security cards that have been taken before that would tie back to a burglary. So one, we could get that property back to the individuals, but two, we could further our investigation in regards to the burglary, so hopefully we can put an end to it. And it didn't seem like necessarily we we actually, at least I didn't. You you probably have a keener eye than me mm-hmm. uh, that we saw any just actionable evidence of, of burglaries. Now there were a lot of items down there, not really big ticket items necessarily. Right. Um, but uh, I guess I'll I'll ask for your interpretation of, of what we found down there at this last camp. You know, so we we did not find any property that I can say conclusively was taken in a burglary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we did see things that were suspicious back there. You know, there was a box that contained several um, unactivated gift cards, like you may see at a convenience store. I don't, you know, our crime analysts look for reports where several gift cards were taken from an area. She hasn't found anything um, to tie it back to that. Um, you know, we found things that were power tools, for example, back there. You know, just because it's a power tool doesn't mean that it's stolen property, but it does make you wonder why would someone who's living in a camp that has no electricity need a power tool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it made us wonder a little bit about that, but there's no, you're right, there's also specific actionable items that lead me to believe that those uh, things we found are taken in, in a criminal event. And I had the opportunity... Um, uh, to talk to a couple of those individuals who, who were down there actually in tents as we all arrived. I'm sure it was uh, a little bit unsettling for them to see a, a dozen or more police officers and uh, somebody with a camera coming in there, but they they were gracious enough to chat with me, and, and you know, they're, they're real people. They're, they're people who have feelings and have struggles and are necessarily proud of, of where they're at in life, though they were also receptive to taking advantage 
of some of these services that are offered to people. And I just wanted to ask you, what's it, what is it like when you come across individuals who are receptive to that? Is there a feeling that, um, you know, a feeling of pride in knowing that maybe some good can come out of something like this? You know, the, the thing that we have to remember is that they are individuals and that they are people. Um, it can be it can be unfortunately difficult sometimes to become, uh, you know, I don't know if hardened is the right word or callous, um, that you look at uh, you look at someone and don't see the person who is down on their luck, having a difficult time, they can't make ends meet. Who knows what life circumstances led them to where they are, but they're life circumstances that thankfully I haven't experienced and you haven't experienced, but we all potentially could experience in mm-hmm. our lives. Um, what's encouraging to me is that as an organization, we are not trying to arrest our way out of problems. There are some there are some individuals um, that need to be in prison, but not everybody needs to go to jail to solve whatever the issues are. And this is an example of there uh, of that. You know, we're the only police department I know of that has social workers at each police station. Two of them are with us today. They were excited about being here. Um, the individuals that we talked to, you're right, were receptive to the services that they could offer, and and want to follow up as soon as tomorrow, uh, which is really encouraging for me and hopefully will lead them to a, a different life, uh, lifestyle that they're more comfortable with and, and is more prosperous for everyone. Right, and you mentioned the social workers. That was something I wanted to ask you about as well, but uh, you, you kind of hit that point uh, on, the, on the, the head of the nail because I feel like having, you know, that oppor- if it's just a police officer and, God forbid, if there was an arrest being made or something of that nature, um, I don't know if there's that's really a step that's going to get them out of this cycle, right? They get out on the streets and they come back or they go to another camp and they they meet up with other individuals who are setting up camp elsewhere. But it does seem like having a social worker there and saying, hey, I just set you up a meeting. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is come. If you can make it to this spot, then we can provide services, potentially housing, hygiene kits, things of that nature. And maybe that's a glimmer of hope. I mean, that's what I saw in the individuals I talked to, right? They said 100%, I'm going to take advantage of those. Mm Now, who knows what, what happens in the next 24 hours as they, as they actually make that ultimate determination. If they can, you know, take a deep breath and walk in that door and take advantage of those services. But, God, you know, it, it's hard not to, to witness something like that and, and, and feel like it's better to have offered, right? You're, oh, exactly right. I mean, th- that's a huge step on their part is to be able to, to cross over to that bridge and actually take advantage of the services that we had to offer, not just saying that they will here at the scene, but also following through on it. And, you know, this is one of those cases, you know, the last cap for, for in particular, jail is not the answer for them. Um, that, that will not make their life better. Um, they, we didn't find, I mean, there was no obviously stolen property back there. Um, the female has, has some medical conditions and, and if we write her a ticket for trespassing, you know, that fine is not going to make her life better. Mm -hmm. Um, she's not going to be able to pay that fine. And, And if she had the money to pay that, to pay that fine, I would expect her to purchase food before she paid a ticket. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think anybody would, um, and so, you, you know, we have to have a different alternative if we want to make an impact. And that's you know exactly what what we're we're trying to do with these ladies that we brought with us today, the social workers. I mean, they're they're outstanding individuals that look through things uh, uh, through a different lens than what we do, and they see things a little bit differently, and they help educate us as well. You know, I, I think we're all on the same same page, and, and 
You know, one thing that was kind of remarkable or, or that I noticed today is everybody that was on this operation today was in a good mood. And they were all happy and everybody was, was glad to be doing what they're doing. Nobody was frustrated about, you know, having to traipse through the woods and find homeless individuals. Everybody had a positive attitude. Everybody understood what the process was and what we were doing and why we were doing it. And they bought into it. And so that is encouraging for me as a commander on the police department to see that we've got the right people here for the right reasons as well. And, and to that point, I, you know, I don't think there was an individual here who wasn't affected when we came across the camp and the individuals that were living there. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it had an impact on me, certainly, but it also had an impact on the officers, who, even those who see it on a regular basis. Yep. So that's just another example of, of the fact that, you know, police officers are human. They're, they're people who, who have sympathies for these individuals, and I, I think there's definitely a benefit for that. I agree with you. Yeah, and, I agree. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you taking the time and, and, and letting me tag along today. I know uh, it's not always nice to have a reporter tailing your every moves, but I appreciate you allowing me to trek along. Absolutely. Anytime. So there you have it. The true story of one reporter and more than two dozen police department personnel trekking through the woods for a day. We didn't recover any of that stolen property, and we certainly didn't solve the tragic homicide that occurred at 9th and Brooklyn earlier this week. I did, however get a chance to see a Kansas City, Missouri Police Department that cares about its community, whether you're living in a McMansion or in the woods behind a public park. This operation was billed as a sweep, but that's not entirely accurate. They didn't tear down anybody's homes. They didn't rip apart any tents. Heck, as far as I saw, they didn't even take away any of the property that was down in the campsite. Only two individuals were found at the scene, and they were both offered social services. Neither of them were arrested, though... At least one of the officers mentioned that they had at least a city warrant. If nothing else, my day hiking in the woods with KCPD bolstered my confidence in the people who are tasked with protecting and serving our community, even when the job involves the most forlorn among us. This has been Paul Thompson with the Northeast News. Thank you for listening.